0: Hello and welcome to the Optus Sport Football podcast. Joining me today as always is a man who has spent most of the Christmas break posting photos on social media of different beaches in the Dominican Republic. Hard life, huh Phil?
1: Uh, it was actually quite a challenging uh, week, uh, Mark, uh, really quite demanding, uh, having to choose which restaurant we were going to eat at, which beach we were going to go, should we go to the beach or should we go to the pool, what water activities we should do, so yeah, no, it's been, it's been actually really quite draining, so um, I'm back and happy to get back to the uh, the regular life of doing the podcast with you, which is a lot less challenging.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, I'd hope so, and uh, I feel for you, mate, I really do, it looks Thanks, very challenging for yeah, you. yeah. And also joining us is Jacob Tanswell, who writes about Aston Villa for The Athletic. And I'm sure you've been working a bit harder than Phil over this festive period.
2: Uh, just a little bit. I don't want to take anything away from Phil. But yeah, it's just spent spending in Birmingham, travelling up to Manchester too. So not quite the same. No, no. I mean,
0: don't think you'll find any beaches on the way up there, do you? No,
2: only motorway, sadly.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're not the prettiest either, let's be honest. (laughs) Uh, Lots of Premier League football over the festive period to catch up on. Uh, Let's start with Liverpool, top of the table. Let's just think about that for a little bit, because nobody really gave Liverpool much hope to firstly challenge Manchester City, and I think we're kind of getting back to the Liverpool that we expected to see last season, and they've, they've struggled a bit. That outstanding performance against Newcastle, there still is a big but there, isn't it, Jacob? The fact that they weren't prolific in front of goal, wasted a lot of chances, and actually could have dropped points or even lost that game at some stage at that game. Yeah.
2: Yeah, for sure. You look at the XG, I think they recorded the highest XG in, in, in Premier League history. I think it was seven or something, which was pretty remarkable. And, you know, th- they are having issues um, in box. I don't think they're quite as um, clinical in both boxes as they were a couple of years back, although they've still got that same energy now. They've rediscovered it through, the, you know, through reconfiguring the team. But it's going to be very interesting. I'm sure we might come on to it, Mark, that, you know, Mohamed Salah's going to be missing and he's probably the most clinical and, you know, the most ruthless of them all. So it'd be very interesting to see if you know, these problems, although they've been doing so well, um, eventually do rear the head and come back to bite them. I mean, look, Phil, I had him in my fantasy football team,
0: right? So he scored massive <laughs> over the weekend, Mohamed Salah. So he was brilliant. So I'm going to miss him through the AFCON. Yeah. I mean, how big a miss will he be? I mean, he hasn't, like in six and a half years, he's only missed 10 league games. It's going to be huge yeah. for Liverpool, isn't it? Do you know who, who I had in my, my fantasy team? Darwin Nunez. Darwin
1: oh, Nunez, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, he really should have... I mean, he should have had at least a couple of goals uh, in this game and, um, you know, big question marks about his his finishing. And it feels like we've been waiting a while now for, for Darwin Nunez to get going in front of goal because in terms of his all-round game as a, as a centre-forward and a striker, he seems to have everything apart from the ability to consistently clinically take chances, which is a pretty big thing that you need for your for a striker. But it feels like once that clicks, if that comes, then he'll be a, a really extraordinarily good player but uh, this game was just uh, another example of him not being able to to clinically take uh, chances and the one player who is really really clinical for Liverpool is, is Mo Salah and, and obviously they are going to miss him. I was looking though; it feels like Liverpool have got um, They've got, they've got a pretty good squad, they've got strength in depth and they've got players that can make the difference uh, from the bench this season. I went through and I had a look at the, the goals scored from substitutes uh, from Liverpool this season and actually there's been, there's been loads. So Gakpo scored against uh, Newcastle, Jota scored against Burnley, Harvey Elliott scored in injury time, Willer against, winner against Palace, Endo scored against Fulham off the bench, Luis Diaz scored an in injury time, equaliser off the bench against Luton, Jota scored against West Ham off the bench and Darwin Nunez, long time ago now, scored two goals off the bench against New Castle, including an injury time uh, winner. So they have had players that have not necessarily been in the starting 11 to come into the team and, and make differences. And I think if you look at who's going to replace Salah, do they have anyone who can you know, do exactly what he does. No, but I think Jota will probably come into the team, and he's 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 not on Salah's level, but he's a you know, pretty good, pretty good replacement. You've got Gakpo as well, so there are players. There is strength in depth there to I think help Liverpool during this period. But there's no, there's, there's there's no getting around the fact that he is an extraordinarily crucial player, one of the best players that the Premier League has potentially ever seen in terms of forwards and the number of goals he scored and the the impact he's had on this Liverpool team. And obviously, they're going to miss Salah. Yeah.
0: So bearing that in mind, Jacob, how important Salah has been for Liverpool, how big he is for this season, how much he contributed in that Newcastle game. Have they got enough to cope without him? And if so, can they maintain this title push?
2: You know, it feels right. They've got more depth, haven't they, in terms of the front line as well. And you're probably looking at likes of Nunes, but also, you know, Cody Gapo Luis Diaz to really you know, step up um, from it. But I do, you do feel when you have a player who's, as you say, has only lost, missed 10 games in six years, who's as integral as he is, you know, the talisman, that he's go- they're going to you know feel the effects. And there's been a few games this season where, you know, you know, the, the Fulham game at home where you think maybe that, you know, they can't, this is not very sustainable. They can't keep going like this. Uh, and, you know, having no salary, their most ruthless, you know, uh, their best player, um, not having him could, could be their biggest struggle. But they've got a lot more depth than they probably had, you know, in those brilliant years under Firmino and Mane. You know, they are a great front line, but they did probably have the, you know, strength and depth in behind him, where now they probably have. And they can always rewire it as well. You know, McAllister or Zobosliar could, could uh, go into those four positions or they could change the structure. But, you know, they, they probably haven't gotten an out and out replacement on that right side especially so it'd be interesting to see what he does and how it also affects alexander Arnold's positioning and, and dynamic too
1: mark you seem to you, you seem to quite fancy have quite fancied liverpool not necessarily from the start of the season but we were talking about who could win the title and, and it, the impression that i've had is that you've always quite
0: fancied them this season i have and bearing in mind i i kind of didn't really think about afcon that much um, yeah, I, I didn't really have an I, I mean, obviously, you know that there's some. I mean, I was more about Asian, Asian Cup because Australia's participation. I kind of almost forgot about Afcon. Um, and knowing that Liverpool obviously do have a lot of strength in depth, but Darwin Nunes is a big concern. I may have tipped him a couple of seasons to go to push Erling Haaland for goal uh, goal scorer of the of the season. Obviously, there's nowhere near that. I do like everything about him except the end product. You know, I think he's got absolutely everything to deliver yeah. except he just doesn't have that. And then obviously that's what <laughs> he's going to be judged on. Right. Obviously. Yeah. Um, Dominic, uh, so limped off, look like he was holding his hamstring. So let's hope, I don't know For Liverpool's perspective, you'd hope that that's not too long. Cause I think he's a massive player for them. Uh, McAllister is coming back from injury. He was obviously on the bench. So, There are some pros and cons with it, but the the big hole is going to be Salah. That's obvious. How do you replace that? But they do have a lot of options going forward. Can they maintain it? I think they still can. Um, But, you know, we look at the table, right? And you talk about who's going to win the league, right? And our Man City people, it's almost running Manchester City off, right? They're five points behind Liverpool with a game in hand. (laughs) I haven't heard people write Manchester City off. I've heard people going, oh, you know what, Man City are going to win it. Yeah,
1: we're all getting excited, but at the end of the day, Manchester City, they've got a game in hand. They win that. They're two points behind Liverpool. They're going to come back, and they're obviously going to win it. We're getting too excited, which I think is a little bit sort of... Um... You know, sport sport and negative. I think we genuinely do have a title race at the moment. Um, no one has been able to take an advantage uh, over Manchester City while they were away at the Club World Cup. That's true. But if you look at how tight it is, you know, six points separating the top five, uh, I can't remember it being that tight at this halfway stage of the season for uh, for a long time. And nobody is really taking the division and the, 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 the race title race by the, by, by the horns and saying, you know, the, we're, we're going to win this. So I think it's, it's anyone's to, to, to have a go at, which might, Mark, lead us nicely on to, uh, to Aston Villa, no, and uh, a subject that Jacob has, uh, has in-depth knowledge on.
0: I mean, like, yeah, I mean, Aston Villa, like, where are they? Are they second on the table, aren't they? They're, they're doing all right. Let's be honest. Go um, on, Jacob.
2: Give us your knowledge on, on Aston Villa. Can they keep it up? Uh, I, let's save that question for later I think right now we, I think Villa fans and everyone around is just bathing in, in the in the glory really but one thing you could say that's going for Villa and it might be overlooked more broadly is since Emery's come in only Man City and Liverpool have got more points anyway you know Villa's home forms are the best in the calendar year so it's not just a it's not just a flash in a pan this is not just a you know hole from 10 years ago where they started really well you know 10 for 7 or 8 games and they just dip off, you know, go steeply downhill. This is quite a, you know, sustained level of, of form. And, you know, it just shows that this is a really well well old team. They're tiring now. I think you've seen the last three games. Um, They probably need their injuries back. You know, no one really mentioned it, but injuries have, you know, really plagued them throughout the season. Now, Buendia and Mings are out for the whole season. They're, you know, First first choice left side, you know, Paul Torres, Jacob Ramsey, Alex Moreno have all suffered injuries too, Um, so they've had a lot of injuries they've had to contend with. But the thing about Emery is he's very effective. He knows how to get the job done. At home, they're obviously you know unbeatable right now at the moment, and that's underpinning everything. Um, But what Emery's done is he's just brought a new level of expectation where these players believe they can get top four. Um, and they're going to try and stay in the race to win to win the Premier League as, as much as they can and go deep as possible. I think Emery said if they can still be in a race by week 30, week 32, then they've done an unbelievable job. So they're going to just keep plodding away, keep going, and let all the more glamorous teams uh, fail ahead of them. Jacob, that's what he's done really well, hasn't he? He's managed, not managed the expectation,
0: what he's done is I think he's pulled the crowd along with him in that they're very well organised, they're really high tempo, high energy, and... There's a, there's a sense of momentum building at Villa, and yeah. without saying oh, they're, they're going to win it or they're going to finish in the Champions League, whatever it is, it's more about a slow burn, but people have joined their their journey and believed in the process, I think, at Villa, and that's something that's worked really well, from certainly from afar, from my perspective.
2: No it has and it's, it's, it's a bit of a running joke every press conference you go to he always says the same things about being consistent in the structure but also saying we're not we're not top seven contenders I think he said that before the start of the season um, before the game away to Newcastle where he did, <laughs> did get hammered he was like we're not top top seven contenders and then straight after the game he was like see we're definitely not uh, top seven contenders and he keeps saying it now he still you know, points out that Chelsea and Man United are better than Aston Villa but deep down if you speak to those in, in a circle he knows that this is an unbelievable opportunity you know the dysfunction at Chelsea at Man United um, you know teething issues elsewhere as well he knows that you know, to get in the top four, also challenge for for the Premier League is there this season. Um, especially you know, Man City and Arsenal, Liverpool. the points tally isn't quite as high, or a runaway leader as previous years. So I think there's a really good opportunity for them there. But yeah, as you said, he's just takes it week by week. You know, I think before um the, the game the other day, you said I'm really looking forward to the cup game against Middlesbrough, and I think every, always in a circle, like really. But he just, <laughs> actually, he just loves it and they plan, you know, the, his analyst plan two weeks in advance. He just focuses on the next game. It's a real good structure there and um, he just enjoys every week and, and focus on every game and seeing what happens at the end of the season. Uh, Jacob, tell me, who, which players have you seen like
1: a really noticeable improvement under Unai Emery? Because when you get an elite level coach like uh, Unai into a club, the idea is that uh, he implements his ideas, his structures, but also he improves certain mm. players. So I'm sure there's been like a, a big, big uh, surge in
2: quality from certain players. Who Who would you pick out? Yeah, you probably have to look at the spine of the team, to be honest with you, you. know, Esri concert has played more minutes than any other Premier League player in 2023, um, John McGinn, and obviously Ollie Watkins. Ollie Watkins is someone that will take the headlines because his goal-scoring record, uh, I think only Erling Haaland and Salah have got more in them than him in a calendar year. Um, but probably you have to say overall John McGinn, because it was only a year ago under Gerrard where he wasn't getting played, he was on the bench, um, West Ham were interested in him, and he probably thought his days were numbered, I think Villa probably thought if if we want to get into the top 10, you're probably not the right guy for us. And yet now he's the captain um, in that home win against Man City, where probably the best performance of Villa for decades. He was the best midfield on the pitch by you know country mile, really. So to see the improvement in him um, is pretty remarkable. And it's probably those guys that have been there for a long time that Emery's really just brought them to another level and a level that probably they didn't even think they were capable of.
1: I think that's it, isn't it? When you get that elite level coach in and he can, he shows them like, guys, this is a different way of doing things. This is, this is, um, this is how, th- all right. I don't want to say this is how the big boys do it, but this is how we do it at the top. You guys are good enough to do this. And it feels like everyone's sort of bought into that. And, uh, and you can see it. And yeah, John McGinn, I mean, wow. Um, I've only seen it once live this season. I was at the Spurs Villa game, a game which Spurs, mm. you know, had plenty of chances to, uh, to take in the first half. I'm a Spurs fan, by the way, Jacob, so I was a little <laughs> bit disappointed by that. But yeah, John McGinn um, in parts in that game were, was really, really uh, impressive. I was keeping my eye out for Pau Torres because obviously I'm based in Spain. I've watched him a lot. I've spoken to him as well before. I was interested to see how he uh, he gets on working with Emery uh, very closely uh, during their time at At Villarreal. And, and um, what do you, what you make of Pau? Because obviously I've always been a really big fan of him, but he does have a slight... Drop off in uh, uh, awareness sometimes. Sometimes he plays the wrong pass. He's always keen to play the ball out from the back. Sometimes he does a switch off. Uh, what have you made of Paul Torres?
2: No, I think he's been. I think he's been increasingly excellent. And Pau Torres, you said he's worked with him before, so Paul's all, all too aware of Emery's. You know, around fifteen minute analyst sessions. You know, he does <laughs> three or four times a week. Which, if they were losing, I think the players would switch off. But um, no, Paul. In terms of his importance of Villa, I think you've probably seen it when he's been missing. You know, long lay Longley yeah. off is a left-footed centre-back, but he doesn't offer the same progressive passing, breaking through the lines and however he wants to play, similar to the how he wants to coax opposition forwards onto Villa and then pre- play him through the lines. He's so important in in, in that and I think he's made you know, more progressive passes than any other, any other player, more moved the ball upfield more than any other player. I think he's just a fantastic player in possession. There's a few question marks over his physicality and mobility. You've seen a few goals, but he's really good at also operating the offside trap that Villa are, you know, experts at as well. He's great at stepping up just in time. So him and Conter when Conter makes centre back as well, who's a bit quicker, and um, they form a really good partnership.
0: Um, Jacob, you know, uh, you've got a piece on Leon Bailey just recently for The Athletic and really fascinating um, sort of insight to his background. I mean, he was one of 23 children adopted by a guy called Craig Butler. Can you give us a little bit more of an insight onto that article and a little bit about Leon Bailey? I mean, he's been phenomenal mm-hmm. for Villa this season, six goals, five assists in 18 games. Um, he's been a bit of a slow burner. Seeing him in Germany has been really exciting, but you got to know him a bit uh, more personally.
2: Yeah, it's been a pretty remarkable story. I didn't quite realise the story behind it. It took a few months to to really go into detail. Yeah, he's one of 23 children that were adopted by this man who's, you know, he was a a very uh, rich and successful businessman, but he had ties in his local community he was exposed to leon bailey um to gangs and violence before that and uh, up until the age of eight um he saw a lot of you know bad things he was part of a tough neighborhood um and then yeah he got he got adopted by uh, by this man um they he obviously had a lot of money so he was able to set up this football academy um but the, he realized that jamaican players weren't probably in um in the rock right, having an right opportunities to progress into the next level if they want to be footballers. So what he did um with Leon and a couple of other of the best lads from the academy as he just went Brought a bag of balls, brought a rucksack, and they just drove all around Europe, going on 200 different trials um, with, with various clubs. You know, including Ajax and, and and you know clubs in Slovenia, Slovakia, things like that. And eventually, he um, got signed up by Geng. I think about five years into the, this journey, where they were just surviving on you know cans of tuna, um, and the rest is history. Is um you know so much detail in that. You know, he, and there's so many things he's had to overcome as well. He, you know, he couldn't read or write until he was 14, and now he speaks five and five or six different languages. So, yeah, I think having that type of a has probably stood him stood him a good stead at Villa, because as you say, it was a slow burner early on, but now he's had that belief, and he's he's. You know he he's always had belief in himself, but I think a coach has given him belief. I think it was pretty obvious that Steven Gerrard didn't have that. Where Emery knows that he's very good, and they've been working on his consistency away from home as well. And you know now he's probably right now Villa's most threatening attacker, and he's he's the man for big moments at the moment. All
0: right, we've we've uh, we've big up Villa. You know Emery's a fantastic coach. We know that anyway, right? And but we've got to give we've got to play with Phil a little bit because he loves uh, uh, Emery. Um, obviously, Ollie Watkins, Leon Bailey. Um, Douglas, Louise, all right, mm. I'm going to put you on the spot. Are they going to be top four? Are
2: they And are they genuine title contenders, Jacob? I don't think they're genuine title contenders, but the question is obviously top five could get them in the champions League. You'd probably look in there, but I do feel if one of the bigger teams do drop off, um, yeah, I, I'm pretty confident they can get top four uh, come May.
1: Uh, we have picked up Villa and we've spent quite a bit on today's podcast talking about Villa but, uh, A, because we've got Jacob who knows so much about them and it's a big story. We're at the halfway point of the season. You've got Villa whose manager said at the start of the season we're not even top seven and here they are sitting second and, and at the moment in the title race, at the moment, I mean, they might not be there in, in 10 weeks' time but at the moment uh, they're there. So um, I think it's worth, you know, it was well worth us um, stopping and, and, and talking a little bit about Villa and, um, you know, and Mark, I'm just going to stick with my. pre-season prediction you know if you ask me because you know pre-season I did actually say that they pre-season I I said towards the end of the season in the last few weeks they will be fighting for a Champions League spot so I didn't actually say they would be uh in the top four but I said um they would be there or thereabouts um Mm. come the 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 final stretch of the season and I'll think I'll stick with that actually because I don't think they're going to win the the title I think they might have Something to say in terms of taking points of, of, of teams that are challenging more realistically for it. But them fighting for the top four
0: in the final stretch of the season, I think is very, very feasible. We might have to go back to the recording about you saying that you thought that they might not be in the top four. They'll be fighting there or thereabouts, because I think you may have said they were going to finish top four. But anyway, it doesn't matter. <laughs> um, uh, look, I think I think it's going to be really close. I think it's between Villa and Spurs in that top four, top five. Uh, well, top five, they are that top five, but top four, traditional top four, I think it's between Spurs and Villa. And I think January transfer window is going to be even bigger for teams like Villa and Spurs um, because of the injuries. Um, Spurs have already been mentioned with a number of players as well. Uh, so I think for those two clubs in particular, um, it's going to be huge. And Arsenal, of course. For a striker, that's probably something they big high up on their on their wish list. Let's move on to, to one of those teams, uh, Ange at Spurs. They've won four of their last five league matches, most recently at home to Bournemouth. They're still in touching distance of that top four and only a point behind uh, uh Arsenal, but they've got a big problem as well. They're going to miss one of their most influential players for a month, well, potentially a month in Son 12 goals, five assists in the league. Um, how do they cope without him, Jacob? Another
2: one, well, it's- <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, it's, it's similar to Liverpool, isn't it? You've probably got to look at the other guys to, to step up. But the thing about Ange is what he's done so well without Harry Kane is he's probably built a more of, of, of a collective structure, which doesn't really rely on one individual. He's got you know goals from other positions. I think Kulusevski's coming back into his best form. He'll probably you know spearhead the attack. Um, and you know he's probably not got the strength of depth of Liverpool he would like. But I do feel they've got a good intensity. They've got a good way of playing. You know, Richarlison he's... You know, you're still waiting for him to explode as well, aren't you? Similar to Darwin Nunes. Um, so, yeah, I think, and you know, he he's had to contend with unavailability throughout the season, really. Um, and sometimes it's it's, it's bit him, but yeah, I think they they're probably in much better position in this season to cope with the absence of Son, um, than they were last year, where basically the whole attack was built around two players. Oh,
1: allow me to be. Obviously, we're supposed to be completely impartial and neutral, like, and which which I'm expecting you day. to not be. Yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm actually really worried as a Spurs fan with with Son going son going away because I think Spurs are are so uh, reliant on him and the drop off to who might try and replace him is so vast that I don't think there's any way that Spurs don't feel it can considerably um Richarlison has been better uh, when he's been played uh, through the centre and Son's been pushed out wide, uh, which is not how they played at the start of the season, but he seems to be uh, uh, better there. So who's going to replace Son? I mean, obviously, as you mentioned, there is Kulisewski, but then on the other flank, Brennan Johnson, not necessarily been overly convinced with him. Brian Hill is a trier. God knows he's a trier, but he does not have that um, final final pass so the ability to play the correct pass uh, more often than not we're missing James Madison badly so yeah it's um it's going to be a, a really 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 big test for uh for Spurs another one as well because there seem there's been a lot of um, adversity for uh, Adipos Tekoglu in this first uh, season it started off by losing the greatest striker in the club's history and has continued with plenty of injuries loads of suspensions and um they've just about managed to, to cope with it but I think this is going to be the, the biggest test of all losing the, the fulcrum of the attack and um, I'm not hopeful, I'm genuinely not hopeful Well
0: we talked we talk, Jacob about the, the injury list of other teams as well, like Villa's had a lot of injuries, Spurs have been, it's been a disaster for them Everyone's had loads of injuries Everyone, Everyone yeah. has but, but but the teams on the peripheral, so those teams that have looking to join the elite ones in terms of Spurs and, and, Villa, and uh, Villa that's Often more damaging, right? I mean, if you look at, if you look at Spurs, with Madison, Romeo, Al, and Son leaving, just those three alone are absolutely huge for Spurs. I know people will say, well, if, if Man City lost, you know, Harlem, which they have, obviously, De Bruyne, which they have, they're still maintaining a run because they've got a lot, a lot of depth, right? So mm-hmm. the, the rest just don't have that same sort of depth. That's, that's the biggest issue, isn't it, for anyone trying to compete at that highest level.
2: Yeah, for sure. And that's why they are where they are because they haven't built a squad that has got that depth that can compensate for injuries like that. And um, they're the ones that are trying to push to to get to reach the next grade, but they have to do it with their best players. So they're always going to feel it a lot more when they haven't haven't got them. Um, But yeah, you've seen... Spurs as well, the, the way they play, you know, they've been on about two centre halves for a few weeks now, and yet, um, you know, you probably say that wouldn't really happen at any other any other team. I know Liverpool had that massive crisis a few years back, but that was, you know, seemed like an anomaly at the time. Where, you know, Spurs, they have to be at their best really to try and break into you know, top, even top three probably. But you know, having these injuries, you're always going to feel it more. It's the same with Villa. The lack of depth will probably ultimately will, will, will uh, hamstring them in the end, maybe.
1: You mentioned the lack of centre-backs. Just shout out to Emerson Royal, by the way. Played centre-back again against Bournemouth. And he was, at some point, something of a figure of fun for uh, for Spurs fans who did not necessarily rate him particularly highly. But in the last few weeks, uh, playing at centre-back, he's put in some really, really big performances. He's been... Um, Quite uh, versatile as well, played in pl- plenty of different positions. Centre-back is not his position at all, playing alongside Ben Davis, who also isn't first-choice. But uh, the two of them have been uh, uh, really quite impressive, given that they are very much understudies to the uh, uh, very, very good uh, first-choice centre-back pairing of Van Der Veen and, and Romero. So I just wanted to shout out Emerson Royal, because he is, uh, like I said, mm. seems to turn things around with the Spurs fan base, who didn't hold him in very high stead uh, a few months ago. So you can't underestimate
0: how important having a good manager is good man manager and mm-hmm. a manager that works with play. So go back a little bit to that uh, John McGinn at Aston Villa, Tyrone Mings under Steven Gerrard were were pushed to a side. Now they're massively influential players. You look at Spurs, um, how important it is to have those players on board in particular, when you have injuries, like so, so Ange could have gone in there easily and just, ruffled feathers and gone right you know they're not really my plans and almost like casting the ones i've said time and time again managers do that and they find themselves in big trouble when you have to when you do have injuries you can't move those players on you have injuries down the track and you need to rely on them Uh, let's talk about arsenal now one of the big hitters who are in a bit of a a minor blip at the moment or possibly a minor blip or just a bad run of form i mean they've only won one game since the fifth of december in the league um so, Jackie, is it a minor blip
2: or are there bigger problems at, at Arsenal? I think you'd probably say, uh, if you look at the last couple of years, you'd just say it's, it's a minor blip. Uh, although uh, you do look at Arsenal now and they're la- lacking that second change of gear, aren't they? They're looking at quite formulaic, quite mm. you know, structured. And I know Arteta loves it, you know, he loves everything controlled. and But they even when they were winning early the season, didn't feel quite the freewheeling, entertaining team, you know, quite as fluid as they were last year, which is a bit of a surprise given, you know, they, they've try to they've taken away Xhaka who's more of a sensible fielder and they try to bring in Kai Havertz who you think is a bit more offensively minded. So yeah, it's looked a little bit like that. They've been just going through games trying to have that control. But when they lack that bit of I don't know energy pizzazz up front, you know, Saka Martinelli are struggling, Jesus obviously is not the most reliable clinical goal scorer, then you probably say, actually, they look quite one-paced and one-dimensional and against teams that will, will sit deeper and then a attack like West Ham or Fulham have, um, if, you, if you are looking one-paced, then you probably will be exploited at some point. So, I think they just need to find that Change of gear and need to find that attacking spar from somewhere. Maybe you look at the de- uh, depth and see someone on the bench. But, yeah, I think it's just a minor blip, and I'm sure they'll get back to winning ways soon. If you going to put your finger on one thing, Jacob, what do you think they are missing? I think, that, as you say, I think the mission of actual number nine that can finish the chances that gets in the box, that stays in the box, um, you look at Jesus, I, I, he was at Villa a, a few weeks ago playing, and I think he does everything apart from getting in the box, he's excellent, but you look at, you go. the ball goes, gets transferred out to Saka and Martinelli, they've got triangles in, down either flank, but then you look in the box and you, you're looking at, Jesus or Incey to get in there, and you, you see who they bring on. It goes back to the argument of strength and depth. They bring on a Reese Nelson, Eddie and These players, um, who you know are good players, but if you want to win a title and if you want to, you know, in these games with fine margins, will they be the difference makers? I'm not. I'm not too sure. Phil, if you look at sorry, if you look at Phil at like their their run coming up now, they've got
0: they've got um, Liverpool on Sunday in the FA Cup, right? Is that their their most well, I suppose, realistic way of winning a trophy this season? Because, I mean, if you look at their squad, you look at the way that they're they're not really performing. I kind of see a little bit of cracks in uh, Teta certainly losing. He's very, very non-responsive in his interviews um, to any sort of, any probing question. Then they've got Palace at home, Forest away, Liverpool at home in the next three league ends after that. Can you see it going pear shaped at uh, Spurs? Uh, sorry, at, at Arsenal, and not that you put your Spurs hat on and hope it goes pear shaped. Do you no, actually no, genuinely no, think no, it no. will? No, 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 no. Listen, I'm, I'm
1: only impartial when it comes to talking about Spurs. Um, um, I, I, I echo everything that Jacob uh, was saying, actually, in terms of um, Arsenal and, and the kind of like formulaic play we've seen from them in the this season compared to last season you kind of know what you're going to get there doesn't seem to be uh, anything different in the way that they try and create their chances there seems to be just a lot of passing in and around the penalty area without any kind of direct sort of penetrating balls or runs into the box you look at the strikers and the, and their goals and they're just way down on numbers that you need to win the league i know Saka's got six goals this season. It's a goal every 278 minutes. That's not enough. Uh, he's the uh, he's the top goal scorer. Martinelli's goals are, are way down on last season, or maybe overachieved last season in terms of goals. Maybe he isn't a a, a goal scorer. Jesus has got three goals all season, and Eddie Nketiah has only scored in three games this season, and the last time was was three months ago. So if you're trying to put one, you know, your finger on one thing, it is a lack of a clinical goal scorer. And are they going to go out and try and fix that in? In January, and there's been loads of speculation of Ivan Tony uh, potentially leaving Brentford and, and, and joining Arsenal. If you were trying to think of a ready-made fix for Arsenal, it would be someone as as, as clinical as a finisher as, as Ivan yeah. Tony, even though you know he hasn't played for uh, eight months, and and um, you know I don't think Brentford are going to let him go. But that 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 is one one suggestion for uh, for Arsenal. Sorry, Mark.
0: The, that's the thing though. Like Ivan Tony, this is, just blows my mind, right? I, I know his record at Brentford is really good, right? In the Premier League, yeah. something like sixty-seven goals really or something like in a hundred games. Really, right? really good. Yeah, it is. But he's at eight months out of the game. He's good. he has he has a problem, a sort of a, yeah. an adi- a gambling addiction problem. Surely he needs to get gains under his belt, which we're now into the season. Get his head right. The thing and is, he's he's not been injured. That's the thing. He's not been injured. He has been playing sort of friendlies <laughs> behind
1: closed doors. Um, it's not as if he's been coming back from a, a horrific injury. I, I'd say it's not worse now. I mean, you, you're the ex-pro. You tell me, is it harder to come back from a layoff where you've just not been allowed to play in competitive fixtures or if you've done your ACL? I would say that. What, the well, I,
0: I, look, I've true. never had an ACL, like a really, really bad injury like that. I, I've had an injury that's been been serious. It's kept me out for, say, three months or so, but not so much where you think, right, uh, I don't know, it never really bothered me coming back because you knew you were fit. I don't know. I think that when you've had other issues away from football, personal issues, and it obviously yeah. there's, there's a mental aspect to it, sure, I, sure. I think arguably that's more difficult. And certainly if you haven't played for eight months and you've not been allowed to even train with a team for that sort of period of time as well. So I, I would envisage that would even be more difficult. Um, yeah. So I, I don't know whether Ivan Tony is necessarily the answer right now, say for someone like Arsenal trying to <laughs> – Push for winning the title and, and finish that it, top four he's the answer for Brentford, maybe well well that, that's more for me right what, what do you yeah. think jacob
2: I, I honestly think ivan tony will, will will just offer something even if he doesn't score. I think he will just offer a bit more of a focal point. Um, I, I do think he's someone that can just hold his position a little bit better, can stay in the box. Um, he's not quite floating around. He doesn't have to do everything like Jesus is doing. So, but I, I can see the argument. I, I do feel Brentford won't sell him anyway because survival was more important than any money they get for him this yeah. season um, and you, you have to also look at his headspace as well you know if you saw those interviews with him he done a few months ago he deal, still did quite seem over you know I'm not a psychologist so I can't really judge but if you just from a you know lames point of view, I don't he did quite seem o- over it and and accepting of, of his charges so um, I think for him if you're looking to do character references like I'm sure Arsenal would do um, that would have to be taken into account as well whether to sign him now or wait a few months and wait till the dust has settled somewhat
0: yeah, so for Brentford, it's vital to keep hold of him. They've lost seven of their last eight Premier League games. They're 16th. They're only four points above Luton in 18th. Hmm. Surely surely they just can't let Ivan Tony go. I mean, Thomas Frank has got – I mean, I, I don't care who it is. He's got to feel the pressure, certainly just to keep keep Brentford in the league. I'm not saying he's in the pressure of losing his job necessarily, but I, I, which I don't think he is. I think it's more about that pressure of keeping him in Keeping them
2: in the league, but also keeping hold of their biggest asset. Yeah, for sure. You, they're probably been exacerbated by you know Wissa and in Burma, especially in Burma being injured for for long. Because at the start of the season they're probably just getting by, weren't they? They were they had reconfigured a little bit of the attack, uh, and Burma was looking like you know he could step up and and replace Tony in, in somewhat in terms of his uh, goal output, but he's got injured now as well, so. You know, they, they're they really lacking. You know, I went to see Brentford a few weeks ago and they did everything right, really. I thought their intensity was good. They were as direct as ever. They were less aggressive. But they just didn't have that cutting edge at the end and they could have killed Villa. Um, but then they had the player sent off and the table's turned. So, you know, they have to keep them, you know, because of where they are, because there's a, there's a threat of them of getting dragged into a relegation scrap, but also because of the other injuries too. Uh, Phil, would you take 100 million from right now if you were Brentford and, and Thomas Frank?
1: Oh, well, I don't. I'm not sure. 100 million is a figure that anyone's going to actually uh, pay. But um, maybe maybe 100 million might be. I think maybe a more, a more realistic figure of you know 50 or 60 million. I, I think it's what Jacob said. I think it's not. It's not, it's, it actually doesn't, it's not worth it in terms of Premier League survival is, is, is more valuable both sort of emotionally but actually literally financially it's more uh, important to stay in the Premier League than to, than to get that money in now and uh, given someone who can score goals like Ivan Tony who has, consistently scored goals in this division and as we know in a relegation battle um, a team that has a proven goal scorer is going to have a a massive, massive advantage so no, I I don't think that they would um, take um, well, you said 100 million would they take 100 million? I think 100 million might make them think but um, yeah, 50
0: or 60 million I don't think they would take no. Uh, That flows in nicely to our next team Manchester United about a proven goal scorer obviously they don't have one (laughs) Ramos Hoyland um, scored his first goal just the other day which I mean, look, the guy's got so much pressure on him. He's, what, 21 years old, 20 years old. Um, there's a lot more problems than just the number nine, right, Jacob?
2: Yeah, there is. And you probably have to look at the deeper problems in terms of the other number nine they've got. You know, Anthony Martial <laughs> should be the senior striker at the club. But, you know, you know he should be just easing, betting in Hoyland. He's, you know, he's got great potential. But a year ago, Southampton were confident of signing him, you know. And in a year, all of a sudden, he's turned into the £75 million striker that... United are trusting to lead their line and he's not quite there yet but he, he could be there um, but you're looking at Anthony Martial you think you're, you're the guy that's been there for nine seasons now you should be there leading the line and you know most of the time he looks disinterested and, and injured so you know that that probably speaks volumes of the actual issues inside the club rather than Hoyle himself who's just a young lad who's, who's still learning and understandably raw too.
0: I mean there's going to be a big January transfer window for them I mean Sergio Reguilón apparently he's going back to Spurs. They've not, they've not taken up the option to, to lengthen his, his loan spell. They're talking about Varane leaving the club, uh, Casemiro and, and uh, Anthony Martial in, just in this January transfer. Window. I mean, whether that happens or not is another thing, but th- that's what the talk is at the moment. That's not sustainable then, is it, to then push on, bring in three players or four players to replace them, Phil, and then end up in the top four, right? Because, that I mean, when you look at, you look at where they are, and I mean, they're they're what are they? They're nine points off a top four place right now. Yeah, they are. I mean, I, it's it's not just
1: the points as well. It's just the the the, 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 the way that they're playing is just um,
0: lost nine not, games. Can,
1: Not Sky Games. I think you know, 2023 was their worst calendar year for something like 50 or 60 years. You know, they've never lost this many games um, uh, in a year for 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 so long. So yeah, it's just that they're genuinely not playing well. Um, I don't think that they're going to get rid of Ten Hag now uh, before the end of the season. Uh, I think they'll they'll stick with him. Obviously, Sir Jim Ratcliffe uh, bought his uh, 25% minority uh, stake. On uh, on Christmas Eve, um, we'll see what kind of effect uh, that has on the uh, planning for the club uh, in terms of the long term future. I, I don't think, like I said, I don't think Ten Hag goes before the end of the season. But it just feels like this. Just yeah, this season is mo- it's more or less written off. I mean, it's it's this. It, 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 there's nothing that they can really sort of genuinely hope to. To, to achieve and okay, all right, they might win the FA Cup and you know it's a trophy and it's it's but I, I don't think they will. You, know, you think there's so many other better teams uh, in uh, in in England at the moment than than Manchester United? Then that would be a, a massive achievement. And in terms of top four, they're just so far away from getting back into the Champions League. And even if they did, okay, they get the money and they get some prestige and they can offer that to. To potential signings you know okay we're in the champions league but look what they did in the champions league this season i mean they crashed out of a really really winnable group i mean okay not winnable but a group that they should have gone through you know pretty comfortably and they were you know, miles off the pace so uh, they're, they're they're so far away from being what they were and i saw a tweet from someone and i can't even remember the exact wording but it was like for people who grew up in the 90s um watching manchester united seeing them now is like running into the guy who used to bully you at school working outside a golf shop holding a, a sign by the uh, by the motorway um so you know it's 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 incredible to see how they've fallen And I got that sense when you and me, Mark, we went to the Manchester Derby there at at, at Old Trafford a couple of months ago, and it was um, a really interesting experience for me just to see that the the, the grandeur of this club is in such stark contrast to where they are at the moment because they are miles, miles away from what they once were.
0: I I think the best way to describe them at the moment is a bit like that day we went to Old Trafford and you see the, the stadium roof leaking hit three different parts of the ground. So for me, the best way to describe him is falling apart. And and that's the stadium as well as the team and Ten Hag and his re- regime at the moment. How, and, I mean, the players he's brought in, Anthony, for example, Onana, they don't seem up to the level, the standard. I mean, Onana's been a real disappointment for me. I mean, I know one of their best second-half performances, one of their best performances or 45-minute performances was that second-half performance against Villa the other day. But if you look at the two goals that led up to it, that they conceded, Anana again, was heavily involved in both of them. He does not deal with crosses in the box. He conceded the first goal was exactly the same as the one he scored, uh, conceded in, in in Turkey against Galatasaray. He struggles with that. Defensively, they're all over the place. Two of their best players have been two players that have been on the out and they want to get rid of Maguire and McTominay. Jacob, where, where, where is there a light at the end of the tunnel for Manchester United fans? Yeah.
2: <sighs> <laughs> That's a far down the track, isn't it? Because, you know, Ratcliffe's come in and he's going to have, be in charge of all football decisions, but it's only 25%. And ultimately, at the end of the day, those that were, of course, that Rock will still will still be there. And you look at, as you say, you've mentioned two players, there, Onana and Anthony, and Anthony was someone they could have got for 25 million, 30 million euros cheaper a few months before that. But because of the indecisions, because it takes so long to get anything signed off by the Glazers, they ended up panicking uh, after two defeats at the start of last season and you know spending 85 million on on Anthony who you know surely no scout at United thinks he's that worth that much money but it comes back to uh, may not have given all the power all the autonomy to put to a manager who you know he might be a good manager but there's so many issues isn't he's constantly having to fix things and then at the end of the day his his own career and his own influence gets stifled in the end and goes down with with the ship. Well, Well part of that issue I think
0: is we've touched on previous podcasts is that Uh, Ten Hag has probably never, ever been in charge of player recruitment. I mean, I'm sure he's had a say, but the Mm. structure at Ajax is very much so that that one individual doesn't have the ultimate say, whereas at United, he's been given that, right? So he's been certainly with players that have come in recently. It seems like they are Ten Hag signings. That is a very, very dangerous game to play. At a club like Manchester United, with with the money that they have – I mean, not only when you look at Anthony, uh, Hoyland was another player they've paid massively over the odds for because of that delay in making a decision in bringing players in. So, um, can can you see anything
2: changing now under the new kind of guidance? Well, that's been an issue. What under David Moyes when he brought Marouane Fellaini in? So it's not it's not just a ten, 10 high thing. This has been going on for for years. But I think the important thing for for the new guidance is that they've got fresh eyes now they've got dave brailsford who okay he's from a cycling background but he knows you know about elite environments and hopefully that means that he brings in people that know how the club works and hopefully shares and separates control away from the manager. Um, but still, it's going to be very difficult for the funding um, they need to, to change this team. But more importantly, they need to make sure they get the structure of the club right. And Ten Hag and Unai Emery, if we go back to the, are very similar in terms of the very insular, they're very football-minded, very narrow-focused. They don't really look at the bigger picture. And that's why you need a good support network around them um, Emory's got that Aston Villa. Uh, I think it's up to Dale, Dave Brailsford and, and Jim Ratcliffe to, to build that for whoever the manager is there.
0: Um, Phil, I want to know, I want to ask you, I want to put you on a spot regarding Manchester United right now. Um, I mean, FA Cup aside, we've got Wigan away, but if they were not to get a result against Wigan away, I mean, that would be alarm bells massively for Manchester United. But then they've got Spurs at home, Wolves away, West Ham at home, and then mm. Aston Villa away. I mean, can you see a scenario where they pick up very few points in those four games? Yes. And (laughs) then Ten Hag could be out the door? Well, I mean, I literally just said two minutes ago that
1: I think he'll stay until the end of the season. But yeah, I mean, you know, going through those those fixtures, I think there's every chance that they do pick up, you know, quite a few, um, well, a few, a few points, you know, not, not, not many points at all. Obviously, Spurs are Spurs and they're missing the players that they're missing, but they will give Manchester United a, a very tough game. Uh, Wolves are in terrific form. Uh, West Ham are um, uh, very difficult to beat. And uh, yeah, I think it's a, it's a difficult run of games. Yeah. Um, I mean if you if you lose every one of those games and you lose to Wigan and it's just completely untenable then okay maybe uh maybe they do pull the trigger um but it just feels like they're just going to limp on until the end of the season because because they 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 have been they've been so wildly inconsistent and they have been if you look at the wins that they've had as well they've not been wins that have just sort of blown teams away I mean against Villa they came back didn't they against um, that was the uh, t- terrific comeback what was it when Scott McTominay scored two goals uh, late on as against Brentford I mean there have been games against Fulham they won one nil, and it wasn't you know it wasn't a great game they haven't had any massive massive wins and, and performances but I think if you can grind out a few results, then that will see him get to the end of the season and then they can maybe reset in the, uh, in the summer. But yeah, I mean, it's just, it's just a bit meh from Manchester United. It's just, you know, there, there isn't really anything um, to get uh, excited about, even from a neutral perspective, apart from just the, the novelty factor for, like I said, people of my generation of seeing Manchester United struggle quite this badly for such a sustained period, which just was completely unthinkable
0: um, when we were growing up. Uh, I just want to briefly just talk about West Ham and David Moyes. Underrated. Is he one of the most underrated managers in the league, Jacob? What he's done at West Ham, they're six on the table, won the conference league last season. Yes, the the league form struggled off the back of that, but they still got the job done. He's on the verge of signing a new two-year contract.
2: No, I think it's fully vindicated that he gets an extension. When you speak to West Ham fans, there's always a few people that are unsure about David Moyes. Yeah. yeah. And it's yeah, just yeah. like, fair enough. I know <laughs> the footballs a little bit, they want to look, look at themselves in terms of more possession-based, you know, more dominant in, in games. And, you know, they've got a good co- calibre of players as well. But they had one off-season last year and it's quite refreshing actually West Ham stopped buying them. That yeah, Actually, a manager can go through dips. That doesn't mean they're going to get relegated. They're still going to have some success, some great success with the, with the cup, but they can have some dips in form. Not every year is going to be linear where they keep progressing in terms of their league position. Uh, he's come back. He's got a great quality of players. I think he helps with the recruitment too, but there's also other people deciding. You know, he's got some shrewd players. You look at that midfield now, um, you know, with more and, and Alvarez in there. Uh, they've replaced, or they've had to replace Declan Rice. And then you look up front and see what he's done with Jared Bowen. I think he doesn't get enough credit for his uh, individual coach. And, you know, we spoke about Emery with John McGinn, but I think he's done the same with Jarabo, and now he's playing as as a striker, as a, as a low nine, and he's, he's doing an excellent lead too, so yeah, it's fully rewarded that he gets that two-year contract, and I think they can be anyone on the day, and that's what makes him such an intriguing team, doesn't it?
0: We'll, we'll move on to La Liga, because I want to touch on hey, what about the news coming out of Spain? Carlo Ancelotti to sign yes. a new contract at Real Madrid. What is going on, Phil? He was going for Brazil, and now he's staying at Real Madrid. Carlo Ancelotti has just played an absolute blinder. All he's done is just sit
1: back and allowed everyone else to talk around him. And he had the Brazilian President uh, federa- Federation uh, coming out and say, yeah, it's signed, it's done, we're going to get Ancelotti. And he was just sitting there going, no, I'm not talking about my future. I'm not talking about my future. And Real Madrid realised, hold on. I think we 've probably got the perfect manager for us at the moment uh let 's not lose him because his contract's up in the summer let's let's ex- let 's extend him so that's uh, that 's exactly what they 've done and When I say that he's the perfect manager for uh, for Real Madrid, he is not just because he is uh a tactically very astute manager, and it's something that he does not get credit for. And I think the way that Jude Bellingham has uh, fitted into this uh, Real Madrid side, we've got to give big, big credit to Carlo Ancelotti, the way he's uh, structured it, particularly with the loss of, of uh, Karim Benzema. But also in terms of man management, managing the most difficult uh, dressing room, managing the expectations of the most difficult fans in the world, Carlo's perfect. He genuinely is the perfect manager. And I think Real Madrid have realised that. Also, there's a lack of clear-cut um, successes, potential successes. There's a, a very handsome, extremely talented former Real Madrid player doing brilliant things in Germany at the moment, but uh, I don't think the moment is quite right for Xavi Alonso to uh, to take over, and I think he's certainly got a job to do uh, in, uh, in Leverkusen. So they've just decided, right, we'll keep Carlo for a couple more seasons, and then we'll see. And Ancelotti's pretty astute as well. He knows that really it's very, very unlikely for people to see out their contract at Real Madrid. Usually you get sacked at Real Madrid. That's what happens usually. So he just sat back and said, right, I'm going to see out my contract and then we'll see what happens. And he put the, the ball in Real Madrid's court and they've uh, decided to extend his contract. And uh, I think it's the right decision. That said, there's quite a few Real Madrid fans who aren't very happy and they want a change and they want someone new to come in and they were clamouring for Chabi for Alonso. But realistically, uh, I think uh, this is a very shrewd decision from Real Madrid.
0: All I got out of that was a thought in my head that Phil has got a man crush on Javier Alonso. That's all <laughs> I, I got out of that. Sorry, I mate. I, 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 I switched I, I off.
1: I have a very public uh, man crush on, uh, on Xavi Alonso for, uh, for, for, for many years. I think he's amazing. I loved him as a player, love him as a manager, and think he's you know,
0: got a terrific scare, skincare regime. Would, would that have been too soon for Xavi Alonso to take over at Real Madrid? So at the end, like Saturday next season. So is it, the, is it the sensible choice? And is it potentially that Perez has already spoken to Xavi Alonso and he's gone, you know what? I, I want another couple of seasons outside of Madrid. I don't want to be there just yet. Yeah I think that's um that's really quite
1: quite possible. Um is it too soon? I mean he's um his his career trajectory has really been quite um you know he's achieved quite a lot um, quite quickly uh, he was in the Real Madrid Youth Academy he was uh, training there uh, uh, under 15s uh, I think it was uh, a, a few seasons ago and he, and, he, and he left there and then he went to Real Sociedad B and did really 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 impressive things with a Real Sociedad's B team and then from there he's jumped to Bayer Leverkusen and taken them to, to the top of the Bundesliga so it's been um, you know in, in sort of uh, three years he's uh, getting himself to the top of uh, of European football so uh, it's, it's all happened quite quickly he's He's still only 42 as well. He's an extremely young manager. And uh, I think there's still time for him to take the Real Madrid job uh, in a couple of years. So I think he's in no rush. Um and uh, Real Madrid uh, seemingly have, have decided to consolidate things with, with Carlo Ancelotti. But, you know, he's a name that's being talked about a lot uh, with with Real Madrid, as was Raul, the former, the former striker, of course, who's the manager of the Real Madrid B team. But that just doesn't feel like he convinces the uh, the Real Madrid hierarchy because, you know, if, they, if it did convince him, then there probably would have been a chance for him to take over in the last uh, few years or so. And that hasn't happened. So I think in terms of former Real Madrid players uh, in line to take over the first, team, Xavi Alonso is certainly ahead
0: of Raul. It's kind of one of those, the same sort of scenario, at Manchester United, Jacob, isn't it? Like if you look at Real Madrid and the size of Real Madrid, the, the challenge is bringing a guy that can handle the club, can handle the supporters. I'm not so sure if they're the most difficult supporters. I mean, Barcelona fans, the city where you're in right now would probably disagree with you, uh, Phil. Um, but that's part of the, the problem right trying to find the right personality not only to deal with the pressure of running a club like that of that magnitude but also the players and the expectation on and off the pitch
2: that's why he's such angelotti uh, angelotti's worth his weight in gold isn't he because he just he gets on with it he he, he doesn't look face at all <laughs> even during games when he score goals he doesn't look face i think it's really important and so should there's vintage of, of Madrid as well which is quite a young hungry team It hasn't probably got the egos that it previously did um, and he's found a way around it you know remember that he hasn't he hasn't got a striker um, really that's of, of Benzema's over the season yet he's rewired the formation and things like that and he's actually engendering better, better strengths or more conducive to Bellingham. so you know this Angelotti is just very important he knows how to manage big clubs um, and it's okay going for these young progressive managers but you know, it's very difficult to stamp your authority in these big clubs where Angelotti knows how to do it. He's been everywhere. Um, And that's why he's so successful. And that's why Madrid realized that there's no one else is better than him. All right, Phil,
0: Barcelona, the other massive club in Spain, even though you don't talk about them very often, which um, is the city I'm in at the moment. Yep. Yes. Um, They've got transfer news. I I still can't understand how this is even possible. Come on, explain it to me. And who are they going (laughs) to sign? Uh, I wish I could explain it to you, but it's, uh, it's uh,
1: beyond my comprehension at the moment as well. Uh, they've brought in uh, Vito Roque, uh, who is a player that they'd uh, signed uh, in the summer, but they've actually brought him in now, the uh, Brazilian striker from Atlético Paranense. Uh, he is uh, now in Brazil, in, um, in Barcelona and he's going to be presented, uh, we think, on on Friday. He's, a, he's an 18-year-old. Um, he uh, he scored 12 goals in the, the Brazilian Serie a last season, four goals in the Copa Libertadores. Um, you know, good numbers for a, for an 18-year-old forward, but maybe. I don't know. I mean, I've literally never seen him play, so I can't give you any kind of uh, analysis of what kind of um, player he is. I'll be honest here. I do not follow Brazilian football, but people are getting very, very excited about him, perhaps too excited about him, or perhaps not. You know, perhaps excitement is what football is all about, and we shouldn't be such grinches. And it should be exciting when they sign a Brazilian wonder kid. What maybe we shouldn't do is have too much expectation. People can get excited, but when they start expecting him to come in and immediately perform, maybe that's where there is a little bit of. A danger and um, I was reading some quotes from the uh, former sporting director of uh, uh, Atletico Panainense which was his uh, club and he said Vitor Roque is very very similar to Ronaldo Nazario so just building him up there and (laughs) making everybody go wildly off the scale in terms of expectations and excitement Uh, listen they need another striker uh, as a backup for Robert Lewandowski who is 35 and who has looked very 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 tired uh, of the last uh, couple of uh, uh, months, not least because he plays basically every minute of every game. So uh, they need other options. And they also need someone to provide competition for Lewandowski as well to, you know, not literally, but you know, metaphorically, maybe give him a kick up the backside and um, maybe spark him into life a little bit. So it's, a, it's in theory, a good signing, but in practice, we'll have to see because like I said, he's 18. He's come from Brazil literally never played in Europe before. So uh, we'll see how it goes, but I know. And if you're asking me how they can do this, I do not know. And at the time of recording, they have not registered him yet. He is not registered with La Liga uh, to play, so I'm not sure what levers they're going to have to pull, what they're going to have to sell off to be able to register him at the moment. But he is, he's not registered at the time of recording. But people are suggesting he could even play um, the next league game. So um, I'm, I'm, I'm genuinely not sure what's going on,
0: Mark. I think that's the favourite terminology at Barcelona. Uh, levers. Um, levers. Just, yeah. Yeah. Everything yeah. is about levers at Barcelona these days. Um, just quickly, Rav first game back after their mini break over Christmas in the Liga. Get a win under the belt, your team.
1: We get to talk about Rio on the
0: podcast. Yeah, come on, chance. Okay, yeah, one two nil against Catafé yesterday. Catafé
1: had three men sent off, and Rio sat back, were two nil up, and just held on for a for a two nil <laughs> win after after all those red cards. So they ground it out. They hadn't won for a, um, a couple of months. They hadn't scored for four games. So it was a, a really big win for Rio. Now, I'm wearing my Rio shirt today, so this is why you've asked me. I know. So I'm gonna I'm gonna wear my Rio shirt more often when we record the podcast to get to talk about them more.
0: Well, that's all we've got time for this week. Remember, every game of La Liga and the Premier League is live and exclusive on Optus Sport. See you next time.